Michelle. Hi, Wallace. Happy day. Happy birthday, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wasn't I wasn't you up for that, I promise. It's Pisces season, and we are recording this intro extremely fresh. And today is Michelle's birthday, February 27th. So happy birthday, happy Tuesday, happy 12th house podcast release day. Amen. <laughs> and we have such a great guest today. And honestly, an OG holisticism community member and North Noter. Truly. So it's just a pleasure all around. It's always so nice to be in community with people that you admire and been a personal admirer of Taylor, today's guest, for a really long time. And now, full circle, we're having her on the pod to talk about many, many things. But we spend a lot of time in this episode talking about her book writing process from a ADHD perspective, from a human design perspective. And it was really fun to get into it with her. Yeah. And I was just like sort of thinking on how many guests we've had who've talked about having squiggly brains or ADHD. And like, I promise mm-hmm. we're not necessarily seeking people out who are so similar to us, but I think it's sort of a birds of a feather thing. And it seems to me like a lot of really intuitive and a lot of really creative people are, are getting this diagnosis. And it's fascinating to see how it sort of shifts the way that they approach their work, but also not really, because you've already had to figure out for most of your life how to get things done <laughs> and mm-hmm. make it work for you. So I liked hearing because from Taylor's perspective, she got her diagnosis midway through writing her book or through that project. And I loved hearing kind of the subtle shifts that happened for her and what she was already doing that really helped her get through a monumental task, writing a book. I, I don't know if I ever could, <laughs> personally. <laughs> Seems really hard. And never say never. I think... It- Taylor talks about this process kind of coming to her and she really graciously shares a lot of those learnings with us. And the book is about to come out. You can pre-order it now. The book will be out, I believe, in a week, but it is so helpful. We talk about this in the episode to pre-order to support your creators and authors because the pre-orders really, really matter. So we have linked all of that in the show notes. So definitely go and check it out. And Taylor also mentions that you can pre-order it at your library. So if you don't have the cash Mm -hmm. to buy a book right now, but you still want to support it, that's a great way to do Mm -hmm. it. And then you're getting it out in your community. I just love that note. And I think you'll really appreciate this episode. If you've ever wanted to write a book, if you are a squiggly brained person, if you've experienced burnout, if you are making the transition from corporate work to working on your own freelancing, we actually have a 12th House Plus audio course coming out in the next week on pitching yourself as a freelancer and how to land clients. But I think all of that will go hand in hand with what Taylor talks about in today's episode two on building a portfolio career. Well said. Let's get into it. Taylor, I'm so curious about your book writing process. It seemed from afar because I've gotten to sort of watch it happen on the internet. It was very similar to a lot of people who I know who have written books recently, which is I thought it was going to be the best thing ever. It was an experience and it was different than I thought it was going to be. And there's some learnings and I'm glad it's over. But I don't want to put that on you, project that on you. But you just mentioned before we hit record that it was different than maybe you thought it was going into it. Yeah, I think I tend to get like these bursts of energy and it's just such a sustained process that it's hard for me to sustain my excitement for it. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting. So the book is called Inner Workout. My company is also called Inner Workout. I gave the keynote that became like one of the chapters of the book essentially in January of 2019. It's coming out in March of 2023. 
I wrote most of the book in 2021 and 2022. There's just like so much that has happened to me personally, like getting diagnosed with ADHD and PMDD. There's so much that has happened in the world. So I'm so proud of this book. And also it was just a marathon and I'm used to working in more of sprints. Mm -hmm. Just before we hit record, we were talking about ADHD menstrual cycles as it relates to creative energy and output. And I'm curious, Taylor, how that's affected your book writing process and what that's been like for you. It's been really interesting because this whole thing is like retroactive. So I finished writing the book in February of 2022. And then you have like a few going back and forth with doing progressively more and more granular edits. And I got diagnosed with ADHD at the end of June of 2022. And so now it's been looking back at everything and being like, oh, yeah, that's why I structured things in certain ways. So I found that I had to really create like a creative space for myself. This was before I got my own like little office outside of my home. So I would like get a hotel for a day or for a weekend. I love the Pomodoro technique and would be like, we're just focusing for 25 minutes or we're just focusing for 45 minutes. And then I would put my legs up a wall or like do handstands or have a dance party. So I'd have to do a lot of things where over time I was focusing for a good chunk, but I broke it up into smaller bits that made it more interesting. And then from a structural writing perspective, like the the way the book works is that the first half is kind of more... I call it jokingly my dissertation on self-care. Like it's all of these thoughts that I have on self-care and inner work and really how I view that world. And then the second half has a formula. We talk about these five dimensions of well-being. We talk about each dimension. Every chapter starts with a mini essay. Everything has these pieces of structure, which I learned afterwards. Structure is great for folks who have ADHD. And so it made it easier for me, even though I had to create these new pieces, I knew what I was fitting it into. And before I decided on that structure, I would just sit at my computer and stare and be like, I'm supposed to write this book. I might have to return my advance because I don't know if I can do it. (laughs) Yeah, I imagine. Well, first off, how did you get an inkling that you maybe had ADHD? Because my perception of you is that you're like super calm, super organized, thoughtful, get all your work done, no problems focusing. I mean, you've built a self-care company. Um, I know you've experienced burnout. So how did that come about? Like what gave you the little itch in the back of your head where you're like, I got to investigate this? I think it was because I kept seeing people in my life who also had ADHD say things and then realize, oh, I do that thing as well. Like I listened to the 12th house and some of the things y'all would mention be like, hmm. And then I worked with a client who got diagnosed with ADHD, a coaching client with ADHD over the course of our work together. And I had so much in common. She's also a person, always has her shit together. I was like, how how can she have ADHD? And if she could have it, maybe I could have it. Um, And then I never thought of this before, but my niece has, my ADHD is more inattentive with some hyperactive tendencies, but my diagnosis is inattentive. My niece is very, very hyperactive and almost, was it like a day later? My sister 
and I both called our dad separately and said, I think I have ADHD. And my dad was like, well, that makes sense because I'm pretty sure I've had ADHD my whole life. My dad's 67. He's just never bothered to to get diagnosed. And then we've always known that he's dyslexic. I found out that dyslexia is very often comorbid with – comorbid sounds so bad, but it often comes with ADHD. And ADHD can be hereditary. So there you go. That's how I found out. It was a constellation of things. Yeah, that's so interesting. I also – personally, like obviously Wallace and I are squiggly brained ADHD people. My dad has ADHD and was diagnosed at a later age in his sixties. And I just think it's so interesting how the sort of archetype of someone who has ADHD is really changing uh, because we're realizing that maybe a lot more of us and especially like creative people, like entrepreneurs who have gone and basically created a life that suits them and their needs are a lot of the people who have ADHD. It's just so interesting. When you look back on it now, are you like, hmm, it's all starting to come together? Basically, I realized that I built my whole life as one giant coping mechanism for ADHD. Like, I work for myself. I work on a variety of different projects. I have a lot of autonomy, but I also can create structure for myself. It's like, oh, yeah, this makes so much sense. Oh, and that was the big kicker for me was realizing that Sometimes people with ADHD, and this might have been something I heard you say, but I've also seen it with people in my life, they'll have like things in the background. I suspect my husband might also have ADHD and he will have like (laughs) music going and he'll be watching a Twitch screen and he'll be working on a design project and he needs both of those things to work. And I was like, oh, I do that with my career. If I don't have the right mix of what's going on, I'm just utterly bored with everything. Yeah. This is a perfect segue to what I love that you've described, and I've heard a few other people describe as well, but not as beautifully put as you, is building a portfolio career. And you said, you know, when we were talking about this episode without burning yourself out, but I feel like also from what you're saying, it's building a portfolio career for a squiggly-brained ADHD creative person because there's so much of what you said that I think resonates for both of us about how to keep yourself interested in your own path and how to stay on that path. And I'm I'm curious if that's something you're also coming to in reflection now, kind of like looking with a little bit of hindsight. Absolutely. So I married my high school sweetheart. I started dating my husband my second semester of senior year of high school. Did not think I would marry him. But at some point in college, I remember telling him, like, if I am still working for someone else by the time I'm 30 and we're still together, I need you to make me quit. Like, and at that time, I thought I just had this like rebellious streak where like, I don't like being told what to do and I just want to do things my own way. And that is true. I am stubborn. I have a lot of Capricorn in my chart. (laughs) And also... I can get things done better when I have more control over more of the process. And I ended up quitting my job, my full-time job, well before that. And I like this idea of a portfolio career, which I did not coin that term because, and this is actually relatively recent, but I've spent a long time kind of identifying as a business owner or a founder. And I realized that I'm just like a person who likes to build things and create things. And sometimes that's businesses, sometimes that's art. And having this portfolio career gives me a little bit more breathing room to hold all of the different offerings that I want to give to the world. 
How would you exactly define a portfolio career for anyone who's hearing the term for the first time? I think the context clues explain it, but just so we we get it super clear. Yeah, I'd say that a portfolio career is a career in which you have, yes, multiple streams of income, which is diversified ways, yes, that you make money, but also that you use your gifts. And that can be diversity in the type of population that you're working on. It could be diversity in the type of work in general in the industries that you work on, or again, just diversity in the ways that actual money comes into your bank account. What do you think are some of the self-care practices that have allowed you to also have a portfolio career? Because to your point about thriving and structure, I think that's something that I know for me personally took a while to figure out what self-care I needed in order to live more of an alternative path or flexible schedule. Well, I think it might be useful to come back to the definition of self-care that I use and is used in the book which is that self-care is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. I found that it's most useful for me to not think of self-care as something that I buy or a list of specific things that I do, but rather an ongoing conversation that I'm having with myself. And if you're in a good and an interesting conversation, there's going to be some shift and some change. So what's been most useful for me is honestly listening to myself understanding what works for me, which may not work for other people. Like when I quit my full-time job, I didn't just like say goodbye to everyone and hope that I would be able to make money. I had a part-time job. So I like we had a mortgage and I could know that I could pay the mortgage and then I could build from there, which for some people, they're like, that's not really doing the business owner thing. You're supposed to like quit and give yourself that pressure. And that's not supportive for me. I would have been so anxious that I would have like not done anything. (laughs) So you got to learn what works for you. Yeah. The burn the boats method. It's not effective all the time, especially to create a thoughtful business when you don't have the time and space to let something brew for a while, or in your case as a generator to be lit up by it so that you can actually make progress on it then it's it's just going to feel like you're banging your head against the wall, I think, a lot of the time. And I'm curious about your generator status, your ADHD status, and like working on this long-term project like the book. Have you leaned more into your human design and like harnessed it a little bit in a different way now that you have more inputs or information about your energy levels? Yeah. So I think I got my first human design reading in 2020 and I was just like, okay, cool, respond. And I just tucked it away and like any of the number of things I know about myself from these different systems. For people who may not know what that meant, what did that mean to you at the time versus now? Yeah, that's where I think I got myself into a little bit of trouble (laughs) where the lesson that I took of respond was almost that I was supposed to be just doing what other people want me to do, which was in direct, like (laughs) it was just the exact opposite of everything that I preach. So I was like, oh yeah, someone asked me to do this. That means that I should do this. And it was getting me to this place of obligation. At the end of last year, I wasn't enjoying a lot of what I was doing, especially in the inner workout part of my career. And I realized like responding, yes, is partly hearing what other people are saying. And then it's also, what am I personally energized by? So when I was doing things in response in this very obligatory way, 
I found myself feeling so in human design terms, they would say frustrated. I was going to say resentment, but I think that's a projector. That's me. Yeah. The bitterness. Bitterness. And so I would be frustrated because I'd be like, I look, I made this thing that you wanted. And now like I was responding to you. What is your half of the bargain? Which is not how it works. Mm -hmm. And so now the response is so much more from genuinely, what am I interested in and enthusiastic about? But I will say that people still can have a role in that response process, especially when it comes to sustaining for a long-term project, like you asked about. Like when I was writing pieces of the book, I was thinking about questions that I would get asked. I've talked to probably like thousands of people about self-care at this point, whether in workshops or all of these different things. And so I'd think of like, what questions did people ask me and what questions am I excited to respond about? Or like I have a little launch team for the book and saying, okay, I probably have to do a launch event. What would be really fun for a launch event to attend? And then I can take from that and see what is exciting for me. But I was missing that part of the equation. So I was in this very like not good place with human design, but but we're correcting now. <laughs> yeah, they say it's a grand experiment, right? Like doing human design because you kind of can't take it literally all the time. And when you first learn it, you're like, okay, it's like as a projector, wait to be invited, hate it. But now I get it. I feel like I get it also just for me as an individual. Yeah. You got to take what serves you and leave the rest as with anything. And generators too, with their energy, I've always heard they're great with a to-do list. They're great with, if you tell them like, get this done, they can just power through it, especially if they're lit up by whatever they're working on. So how has that kind of shown up for you with your ADHD diagnosis, with these different projects that you work on? I imagine that maybe like your time might feel a little bit scattered if you're working on a lot of projects at the same time. So I do love a to-do list and (laughs) that has always been true of me. I think the right things have to be on the to-do list because if you hate everything on your to-do list as a generator and as someone with ADHD, I will find other things to do. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was writing the book, being in this hotel room, feeling like a lot of fraudy feelings about writing this upcoming chapter. So that's when I decided, oh, I need a new CRM system. And I decided on a new <laughs> CRM system and set that up the whole first day that I was there. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, wow, this was not what this purpose was for. I did some <laughs> yeah. got something done, but it yeah, exactly it just wasn't what you planned on. Yeah. So I think generators need to be really mindful of like tying whatever is on your list to something that you want and are excited about. Not to say that everything is going to be fun to do, but I know that if I write this chapter, it allows people to have more access to my work who couldn't just work with me one-on-one or something like that, tying it into a bigger picture. From a portfolio career perspective, I've tried multiple ways to work at this. What I tend to do right now is I know what are the main projects that are on my plate from like the different pieces of my career. And is it helpful if I break down like what are all the pieces in my portfolio career? Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. We are like, yes, please go into extreme detail. (laughs) Give us an hour by hour breakdown of your week. (laughs) Lovely. So I have my company. Most of the forward facing work is under the inner workout brand, but overall, I have like an LLC. And through that, I have 
customer facing things or like individual customer facing things that we'll do like workshops, our podcast. I also work with organizations. So I'll come, I'll speak, I'll co-build a workshop or something specific for their audience. Outside of those things that are kind of the owned pieces that I have, I work with Google as part of their mastery faculty. And I basically get to help leaders at Google be better teachers, facilitators, presenters. And then I work with Franklin Covey, which is one of the like leading leadership development companies. And I specialize in their unconscious bias content. And so I'll work with various clients of theirs to facilitate their content. Um, and depending on the level of it, like one time I helped kind of build a custom version of the content and deliver that to thousands of people. So those are the main pieces. I also have this project called Gateway Coaching that is continuing to evolve, that is working to make coaching more accessible. Those are the things that are on my plate right now. I'd put the book under like my general things I own bucket. So at any given time, I know like which of these projects is absolute priority. Right now, it is the book. That is the main thing that I'm focused on. If I can do nothing else, I will make progress on making sure that people know about the book. These other things kind of layer in depending on energy. I'll also say when you're building a portfolio career, the reason that it works is because when I do work with Google in Franklin Covey, they pay me a good amount of money for a relatively small amount of time. And I get to say yes and no to which things I do. So with Google, I tend to be facilitating for like 90 minutes. With Franklin Covey, it can be anywhere from two hours to like an eight-hour day. And I can know that this is that time. It's very, I know exactly what I need to do for these things. And then when I'm not doing that stuff, I don't have to worry about it. Where I think people get into trouble is they try to do things in a portfolio career that requires a lot of them all the time. And that is where it gets very unsustainable. We're taking a little intermission to tell you about some freebies that we have that are linked in the show notes that you can take advantage of, especially if you're listening to this being like, I think I've been building a portfolio career, but I want to be more intentional about it. Absolutely. So the first, and I would say probably my favorite thing that we've made in a really long time is our 14 days to 100K email course. It's, it basically walks you through how to make 100K in a year using content, using copywriting, and using your creative little genius brain. It's really fun, short prompts that you get delivered to your email inbox every day. So sign up for that. It's free. It should be paid, but it's not. It's free. So you, you should get it. <laughs> it really it. should be. The second thing that you'll definitely want to get a hold of, especially if you're thinking of branching out on your own, starting your own business, is our brand book template. Building a brand book is one of the most valuable things that you can do when you first get started. That soul is and what their destiny and purpose is. And building a brand book not only helps you understand that, but it also is really practical if you ever work with collaborators and as you continue to grow your business. So we're giving it to you for free. It's a Notion template. It's super fun because it helps you organize your thoughts, helps you to get to know your brand, at Holisticism, we really believe that businesses are a separate soul, a separate entity than you. And you want to get to know who that soul is and what their destiny and purpose is. People have been DMing me their answers on, on Instagram and I love to see it. So send me a screenshot. And that is also in the show notes. So two fun little freebies today.
we just recorded a podcast about pitching as a freelancer and it could be consultant, could be really a portfolio career. When you're, let's say, working with Google or Franklin Covey, do you set up a retainer situation? How do you protect yourself in that situation so that you're making sure that that time is not only valuable to you, but recurring? Respected. Yeah, I would say... For me personally, I like that they are not recurring. And what I mean by that is that I have with Google specific programs that I'm on, I can reasonably assume about how much money I will make as long as I continue to do those programs in some combination of days and hours with Google. And then with Franklin Covey, it's all about relationships within the, with the salespeople who can sell you as a facilitator for their client. So I've really focused on specializing on one of their many pieces of content that they deliver and building relationships with like a handful of, they call them client partners who are selling this content to people. So for me, the way that these are structured is, which is really great, is I'm not having to negotiate a lot on rates. They're just set rates. I get to say yes and no to everything. And I know within probably a few thousand dollars how much money I will make with them per year if things go similarly. And then if I want to push the gas or the brakes, I can. And I know how to do that. Wow. That's like an ideal situation, it sounds like, because to your point, it's so clutch to basically have a smooth brain like sort of situation <laughs> where where you don't have to put a ton of like your life force energy or creative juice or like really necessarily wrestle with concepts constantly and i think that is why people burn out because they're like trying to create 15 things at the same time that are in all these different categories and you're just spread too thin like i don't know i feel like we just have a creative tank that needs to get refilled every day and you just don't have the opportunity to do that if you're constantly outputting, you know? Yeah. And this was all like layered over time. So this is the other thing that I like to express to people is like, it really started with Google. And then someone from Franklin Covey actually found me after that. And I could have like gotten certified in all of these Franklin Covey things and tried to do a bunch. And I haven't. It's been over two years at this point. And I'm like, nope, I'm making the amount of money I want to make having this one specialty. And I know it inside and out. The other great thing about it is that I'm getting paid to develop my skills as a facilitator. So then when I'm doing things where I am completely creating the intellectual property I know that I am a world-class facilitator and I'm not saying that to brag, but I'm saying that because like I wouldn't work with these other two <laughs> if I wasn't continually leveling up in facilitation. For someone who's listening, who's kind of like, oh, I was maybe unconsciously wanting to build or am building a portfolio career, but hasn't been so discerning or intentional about how to go about doing that, what would you say to someone who's kind of on the precipice of being like, yeah, this sounds like the thing for me? I think, again, it starts with knowing yourself really well. And you're not going to get it right out of the gate. There are pieces that I tried before to incorporate into my portfolio career, and it was too much and it didn't work. But knowing what works for you, what works for me as 
a generator, as an Enneagram 3, as a Black woman is going to be different than what works for you. And that's fine. I say that because I just see a lot of people like, that person's doing that, so I need to copy paste what they're doing. And that is just the fastest track to burnout. Absolutely. From there, start to think about like, what is the life that I actually want? It feels so luxurious for me. I'm a morning person, but it is the height of luxury that most days I don't start working till 10. My mornings are for me. I'm up early and I am moving and I'm meditating and I'm doing all of these different things. And that feels like I don't even know how many thousands of dollars it feels like are in my bank account every morning I get to have like that. So what are those things that are important to you that need to be present in the lifestyle that you're trying to build? Because ultimately, when you're building a portfolio career, you're often doing it because of a lifestyle that you want to lead. And because of this next piece, the interests that you have that you want to be able to pursue. So what are the skills that you want to develop in your professional life, but also in your personal life? Your portfolio career doesn't have to allow you to do everything that you're interested in, but it should give you space to do enough of those things that you will continue to be interested in it. So knowing what skills am I trying to develop? What do I have access to right now? Is it like relationships? Is it a certain level of respect for you as a certain type of practitioner? What can you lean into? And then where are the places that you'd like to go? And What's coming to mind is like this picture of tiptoeing. Like you you kind of want to dip your toe into it. You want to tiptoe, try it out. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in experimenting, even the language of I'm trying this on. I am trying working with some coaching clients. I'm trying taking on a few design clients a year. Test it out and then learn and iterate, which is the big piece is Even though I'm preaching experimentation, it's really (laughs) because I'm talking to myself and I'm sure there's someone listening right now who's like, okay, great. I'm going to experiment, but I have to get it perfect the first time. You don't have to. Totally. It only works if you continue to evolve it so that it works for you. Mm -hmm. Speaking of perfection, do you feel like that's something with ADHD now looking back you've struggled with? It's something that Michelle has definitely brought to my attention as being something that is more associated with people who have ADHD and like a hyper, what is the? Rejection sensitive dysphoria. Yeah. Taylor is nodding profusely. Yes. I, that was one of the things where I was like, I felt so seen and so attacked at the same time. <laughs> yes. 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 I a hundred percent agree. Cause reading about it, you're like, wow, I sound like a terrible, I, that is me, but also I sound bananas. Like, yeah. It's like, like oh, I'm such a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I just wanted to hug all little us. <laughs> yeah. So much of my perfectionism does stem from the RSD, from the rejection sensitivity. And part of it is just like growing and giving myself a lot more grace. I also look at the people that I most admire and they are willing to change so, so much. There's an... I was going to say influencer, but she just talked about how she intentionally is having these three different parts of her career. Her name's Hyatt Rita, and she is a creative strategist at Meta under Instagram. She is an influencer, and she has this jewelry brand. And she is constantly talking about how she's changing, what she's learning, what's evolving for her. And that is so inspirational to me. 
And I'm like, oh, if I focus so much on projecting perfection, I am making myself unrelatable to people. And not that the goal is for you to be relatable just for the sense, but like the sake of being hashtag relatable, but I am blocking connection Mm -hmm. when I pretend that I'm being perfect all the time. So that's been like a huge shift. And the type of leader that I want to be is not someone who seems like they get it right all the time. It's like a conversation ender or like a content ender. (laughs) In, In a world where a lot of like our content comes from our personal experimentation, to your point, if you live this perfect life and you do things perfectly and you're perfectly productive, okay, <laughs> great. You tell people how to do it one time. There's no like, um, no like, oh my gosh, I found this new thing or I'm trying out this new way because you know what? This other way kind of was working, but actually wasn't working that well for me. It turns out it's not that perfect. Um, there's nowhere to go. Like there's nowhere to go up. You just are kind of maintaining and that's really boring to exist in, I think. So boring. To tie that into what we were talking about a little bit before around burnout and I mean, like my whole company came to be because I kept burning myself out. But when I talk about burnout in the book, the more I think about it, the more I view burnout as being the state of very, very deep disconnection from yourself and often from other people. And so when we can show up imperfectly, when we can ask for help or do those things that make us feel, again, less than, like we're not being this perfect person that we whether we were told or we told ourselves we were supposed to be, that's actually like a preventative measure that you're taking against burnout. And it's also one of the deepest ways that I found to heal burnout, at least for myself. Yeah. I was just sitting with that idea of just honestly, like feeling in my body what it feels like to be burnt out because that's where it shows up for me first. I almost like feel my adrenals like just shrivel up into tiny little balls and my shoulders get really high and my neck starts to hurt. And I just feel this like wave of exhaustion rush Mm -hmm. over me. And when you were talking, that's what was coming up for me. And I was a little bit stunned. In this book writing process, I hear, I've never done it, but I hear it can be extremely draining. It can lead to burnout. It can just be a lot because you're doing a brand new thing. You've never written a book before and you have to be professional at it because you just got paid to do it. How has navigating the process been? I'm sure you have many learnings from start to finish. Yeah. Speaking of connection, shout out to Amelia. I know she was just on the pod. Now she's like virtually here. Amelia is one of my dearest (laughs) friends and I shout her out in my acknowledgments of the book as being my book big sister because it was just so incredible to have someone who has been through the process and in a similar way, like the way that Amelia got her book where someone reached out to her was the same thing that happened to me. So being able to ask her every step of the way, is this normal? Is this not normal? And also to have other authors in my life or other people connect me to authors in my life. So lovely. Even in the like negotiation process, even as I was picking out an agent, because I did that retroactively, having a community around me of people who were in the process of writing. And honestly, like the writing was the hardest when I was anticipating judgment from other people or writing so that like I wouldn't, like if I say it this way, maybe people will project something onto me. And so I had to very, like what felt true to me, I had to come back to that very often. And then in the launching process, it's been this way for me, 
again, talking about being imperfect in receiving, there's a part of me that's like, I should be self-contained. I should be able to manage every part of the launch myself. But it's actually been the experience where I've been the most supported, both from like people that I'm paying to support me in terms of like publicity Mm -hmm. and things like that. But also just people saying like, honestly, how can I help? Like, what can I do? What support do you need? And it's very humbling. I'm getting like teary eyed. It's very humbling, but it's also like that has been the best part of the process is to learn how to give and to receive support because you're not going to have a good book if it's written in a vacuum and if it's launched in a vacuum. It really is this communal effort. So that's a little bit more like esoteric. Love that. But I also can share like some practical things that I learned too, if you'd like. I like the esoteric too. I mean, would you do it again? I think so. The funniest thing is that like I realized that it's part of my life's work to write. I've always written like one of my earliest memories is basically me like plagiarizing probably at like five or six the story and being like, oh, I love writing. And then I had all of these things where I was like, writing is easy for me. And when you do a career, it should be hard work. So I had like all of this work that I did around writing. And now I'm like, oh, I I could write a book, like maybe not every 18 months, like they say, but like every few years and really enjoy it. Because going back to the ADHD, I like to hyper-focus on things and social media often feels too fast for me. But a book is a way for me to really lean into a topic, really decide what I think about it after testing a bunch of things, which I might test on social media or in my newsletter, and then put it to something that at least this version of me can stand behind. So yeah, I think writing will be, I mean, hopefully we'll see how this book sells, but I would like it to be part of my work. And if traditional publishing isn't the way that I go, I could see self-publishing. I will also say that like, A lot of traditional publishing is an industry that's very ripe for disruption. Like it is the most archaic industry that I've ever encountered. It's so slow. It's It's so so strange. Yeah. So just if anyone is listening and is like considering their own writing process, I've actually been sharing the process in this newsletter that I write just for fun called the process report. But something that has been interesting is that We think that we need a publisher, but actually publishers need us. So start like developing your point of view and start talking about it now. And also relationships are so deeply important. Like I'm working with a podcast PR agency, which is great and has gotten me on a bunch of podcasts, but also like I just directly pitched y'all and said like, I've been in your community I have an idea of what might be interesting to your community. And a lot of podcasts, even some very large podcasts that I'm on, are just relationships that I've had over the years that I could be like, I know you, I know your community. I think if we had this conversation, it would be valuable to both. So like, don't underestimate the you part of the equation because I promise you publishers need you more than you need them. Yeah. It's just like social media platforms need creators way more than the creators actually need them. Without the creators, there would be no platforms. And I think we forget that we have so much power a lot of the time. Like we really do hold a lot of power. We do. waxing poetic about mornings. And when I was in, I had like a period of burnout towards the end of last year. And when I was in the depths of that, it was like, I really was just prioritizing everything else and everyone else over giving myself like this 
dedicated amount of time in my mornings, which to be clear, like doesn't necessarily take four hours all the time, but just like the fact that I don't have to rush through my mornings is really important. So I have just been really luxuriating in my mornings and building a meditation practice again, which is honestly a struggle. Like today, my dog licked me through like half of it and then fell asleep on my foot. And I was just so distracted the whole time. But it felt fun to do something kind of challenging again. Also, I've been doing Pilates, just mat Pilates at home. And I avoided it for a long time. I kind of did it when I danced. And then my core wasn't as strong anymore. And I was like, this is too hard. So I just avoid it. I would do every other workout that objectively is probably harder than Pilates to ignore the discomfort of it. And so I've been having fun being challenged in my mornings by doing things that like don't necessarily come super easily, but are really gratifying. Shout out to Pilates. Shout out to Joseph. <laughs> the real the real MVP. Although, man, I have some stories. I trained with a woman who trained with Joseph Pilates. And she would always say, Pilates is not for women. <laughs> Joseph made it for men. It is not for women. It is not for women. And we were like, okay, Kathy, can you make it for women? Jeez. <laughs> That's really interesting because I, I feel like at least the way... I see it is mostly women doing it. Oh, totally. It's it's very female branded now. Someone write like a piece on that. I would read it. I'm going to add it to my list. I'll, I'll add yeah. it to my list of things to do. <laughs> when did it flip from being for men to being for women? This right, would be a nice little women. like six episode podcast. That would be a really good podcast. There's actually a good New York Times article about the like infighting in the Pilates community. It's, I'll send it to you, Taylor. It's fascinating. I'm excited. I love I love drama. <laughs> when it's not my drama, to be right. clear. When no I drama in my life, but I like <laughs> drama. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Taylor. And how can people grab your book? I know that pre-sales are really important for authors and people can still pre-order it. Yeah. Yes. Pre-orders are super important. And if you go to innerworkout.co, not .com, there's a button right there. Click that. It'll link you to all of the places where you can buy the book or if you have a preferred place to buy the book, especially your local bookstore. If you just ask them, they'll pre-order it for you. It also is really helpful if you're like, don't have a book budget right now, ask your library to order it. That makes a big difference too. Thank you so much, Taylor. This was such a delight. Love to hear from a generator as a projector and an MG on the mics. It's so satisfying. Like, Love to get that insight into your perspective and view. And so excited for you with the book. It's been amazing to watch your journey and kind of be, you know, on the sidelines of it, starting with the Heroic and Perfect Action Challenge in North Node last year and when you made the deck. The inside deck, yeah. Mm -hmm. We still have a limited number left. I just kind of re-up it. Like if I get a bulk order, then I'll tack on some individual customer ones to sell to. So if you go to innerworkout.co slash shop, there are some there. Yeah. It's a great, it was created instead of scrolling, you could mm -hmm. grab a card and get another prompt to do something else. Mine is well-worn because it's lived in a lot of my, my bags. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for having the heroic and perfect action. Speaking of ADHD stuff, like structure, I just do something every day. It was really mm -hmm. easy. I mean, it was simple, it was simple, not, not necessarily. Easy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank y'all so much for having me. Bye, Taylor. Bye. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed the episode. We will be back in your ear holes next week. And if you're curious about our upcoming course, Creators Cashing In, the registrations are opening next week and all of the details are in our show notes. Class begins March 14th till the 25th. And it's going to be amazing. And Wallace and I are co-teaching it. So it's going to be fun. We are teaching. We are linking all the information in the show notes as always. So check it out. Don't miss that. And we will see you next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.